Welcome to Fresh Meat, an original podcast from Manifest Group, where we talk to some of the best creative minds from all around the world. Expect great advice, new insights, and a lot of inspiration. Don't forget to subscribe and share. Manifest Melbourne acknowledges the Wurundjeri Woi Wurrung people as the traditional owners and true sovereigns of the land in which we work. We recognise the significant contributions made by other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people and pay our respects to Elders past, present and future. So welcome to a sunny but chilly Melbourne where we're recording today's episode of Fresh Meat, the podcast that provides a meeting of minds around the freshest topics in the creative industry. Um, given we're in Australia, you might be expecting to hear the dulcet tones of our, our creative director down here, Jesse Bowers. But unfortunately for you, he's jetting off to New York and you're stuck with me, Alex Myers, founder and group CEO at Manifest. I'm standing in for my first time as a, as a presenter today. But luckily for you, I'm here with two professionals. Um, we have Kimberly Lewis, um, a senior account manager at Manifest, and Rebecca Park, the uh, co-founder of an incredible vegan condom brand over here called Johnny. Um, but I'll, allow, I'll let you guys introduce yourselves. Hey, everybody. I am Kim. I am here from the Manifest Melbourne studio where I'm a PR senior account manager working in the creative communication space. Very excited to have our guest today, Beck from Johnny Condoms. That's me. Yes, I'm one of the co-founders of Johnny. And what is Johnny? Do you want to tell us a bit more about that? Johnny is the coolest condom brand on the market. <laughs> I, can, I definitely think it's the best strap line I've ever heard in my life as well. So the be strap good. line, in case you haven't seen it for Johnny, is be good, <laughs> which I think is just fantastic. <laughs> it um, It's very catchy. I think you you have a generation that start to seeing Johnny be good and all the different variations of that from the fine young cannibals to Johnny Cash. Or you've got people just like, oh, I like that. You know, they've got no idea. But, yeah, 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 totally. Which is the point, really. So whereabouts is the condom brand? I mean, I know, that's right? quite a leap. So, yeah. So where did that come from? What's the background? Really simple story. And it was my co-founders and I, before we were business partners, were sitting around with a few wines, as you do in Melbourne. All the best ideas start with wine. <laughs> always. And red at that. And we're chatting just about, you know, our loves and lusts and lost loves and one night stands and what have you. And from that conversation came the realisation that between the three of us, of which there's quite a big age gap, uh, we all had really similar experiences when it came to sex and practising safe sex. And it was sort of a really one of those moments where you look at each other and go, hang on a second, we could do something about this. Funnily enough, one of my business partners turned around and said, yeah, let's just make it an organic condom and call it Johnny. And I laughed and she didn't realise why I laughed. I said, well, why Johnny? And she was it just is a cool name and went, no, 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 that's actually the slang name for condoms. <laughs> I then showed what generation I come from because she had never heard of that before. Oh, really? had the other, Yeah, which is, a, and it's a really English name for condoms as well. Yeah, it is. So this juxtaposition, you know, of, of people knowing and having an affiliation with certain names and those not, yet it still resonates, was has actually become a big part of the brand in a way. So I went, oh, we have to do it because of that. And then the motivation as we talked more and more about that, because the market just hasn't moved on from really poor branding when you're talking when you're looking at condoms, I came to the realization that the female market itself hadn't really been targeted well, and it was with the female markets that we were keen on changing that mindset around safe sex. 
and that can, that's a whole other story. And so we, we wanted Johnny to be a gender-neutral brand targeting everyone, well, sorry, targeting women, but open and, and attractive to everybody was the start. And I genuinely think you've managed to achieve that as well. I think um, when, we, uh, when we first arrived in Melbourne, there was kind of a list of the, the cool startups that we we're looking through. And normally when you're looking at it from a branding consultancy perspective, there's, you just look at it and it, a lot of the websites, and I mean this nicely, most of them look like a trash fire from a brand standpoint. You know, they've not really got their, their house in order because a lot of the time branding is an afterthought, I guess. And it seems to me that branding has been front and center in terms of your business plan. I mean, it looks as polished as, you know, anyone could make it. Um, oh, it's not you. just about the, the cool strap line. Yeah, the, you know, you've the big got, good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got a, you know, yeah. a real narrative to the brand. You've got an incredibly recognizable tone. And yeah, the branding, like you said, I think a unisex condom brand is a difficult brief. Yeah, it um, was. Yeah, but it seems like you yeah. achieved it. And that's really interesting you say that because it took us a while to get to market from coming up with the idea to actually launching. It was about 18 months. And one of the biggest challenges we had was actually finding someone who got what Johnny was about and didn't try and tell us that, no, 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 condoms are just for men. It was... and. So if you didn't buy into what we were trying to shift and change, the alignment just wasn't there. And it took a few goes at that. I come from a marketing background, being in branding, started my career in advertising. So I think that influenced, but my business partner's just as much. One's an interior designer for hospitality. Her look and feel and eye for design is is way up there, you know, highly recognisable. So I think it was almost in our DNA a little as well. But thanks for that. No, no, well, that's I mean, really cool. it's just on his point of view. Like, don't, don't you agree, Cam, I think? <laughs> totally. Um, and actually, I did want to, you know, going down the female um, target, yeah. how have you found the pickup from a gender basis across the board? It's really? so exciting. Yeah. So it's so, I think we are probably about 60-40 from what we can tell from the data that we have female-male split in terms of yeah. customer base at the moment, but the most engaged customer base ordering online is men in that they are the ones that leave the most notes. So if they're with every order, they'll have little notes going, we love what you're doing, I love what Johnny's about. It's always from the guys. So it's super. That's great. Yeah, super, so they're just as engaged with the messaging, which was very evident needed to happen anyway. So yeah. 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 And obviously the sustainability message with Johnny, I love mm-hmm. the idea that you have also encouraged Sustainable disposal of the condoms. Bags, yeah. Because obviously yeah. flushing them down the toilet is a big no-no. It's a big so no-no. It's nice to pop that in there. How have you found that it's been received? Oh, it resonates really well. In fact, there was a time when we were thinking about getting rid of the bags and we market, we uh, questioned our customers and they were like, we know what you're doing, don't do it. Don't get rid of the bags. It was overwhelmingly positive for the disposal of them. And we've got some great antidotes. But that goes back to the be good strap line. So, you know, our mantra is be good to self, be good to others and be good to the planet. So we try what we can. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the um, be, is it be a lover, not a flusher? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it stays exactly on, on, on the, the bags. Bag. Yeah, again, yeah. just from a just a pure consideration of the brand experience, I think it's it's a really good example of how actually the product that people are buying is the overarching experience. You know, I think, I mean, you'll probably tell me differently, but I think the experience of condoms in general is probably relatively ubiquitous. It feels, you know, very similar versus from a yeah. product experience standpoint. Correct. The difference is how I buy it, how it makes me feel by it, how I dispose for, of so it. True true um you the know the whole and, experience yeah, yeah exactly and i guess there's an understanding as well you know it's a very sex positive brand yes very um, much and willing to be so quite explicitly yeah absolutely and 
I think that stems back to that initial conversation about, you know, the similar experiences we had and it was all around this uh, thought in your head, this pre-existing mantra that one has of, um, you know, the condoms don't feel good or if I don't have safe sex with him, if I say, you know, no, I won't have sex unless I'm wearing a condom and he rejects me, I'm I'm rejected. You know, it's it's all the things that we've been taught subconsciously um, and maybe some consciously is just not in the right frame. It's mm. like it, sex is great as long as at the very core of it is respect and and that respect for self, respect for others, and respect for the planet. So if you're if it's shrouded in that, then it can only be a really good thing. And let's face it, we all do it. Yeah, <laughs> Whether you exactly. like to think of it or not, we all do. You I mean, know, it's so. bizarre that sex is still a taboo in so this day and age. Much. I think we work with a number of different sex toy brands, or we have as yeah, well in right. the past. And you know, breaking down stigma is the key to it's opening key. up people's kind of healthy, happy sex lives. Correct. Yeah. Um, however, it is slightly awkward how accustomed we'd become to talking about orgasm and masturbation and things <laughs> yeah, in the yeah, studio. In the and office, like, yeah. you'll have a you'll have a client coming in for a meeting about something completely about I don't know cloud based accountancy software. Yeah. And we'll be asking about different euphemisms for for having a wank. Yeah. So <laughs> it's um yeah. But it brings a lot of joy to the day, right? Yeah, it's exactly. so much fun. And and we knew that also when we started that if you could start a conversation, humour was the best way, clever wit. You know, nothing's mutty or cheesy, but just with wet wit, you can make people giggle, they share the laugh, it opens up the conversation, and from that point you can start to break down the stigma. You start to realise that actually you're thinking the same I'm thinking and is it necessary, and you get the conversation going. And and this was all before Me Too for us mm. as well. So we launched, eventually launched in uh, January of 2018, so Me Too movement happened in between, and that sort of propelled the, the customer's need for conversation or the community's need for conversation and wanting it and open it. So, you know, we come in from a lighthearted, positive perspective and it gets the conversation going. And we've had some great conversations, <laughs> things I've talked I about bet. that I never, ever thought I would be talking about. <laughs> Actually, yeah, from a um, language perspective, I have to say the Johnny language, um, how you said, not smutty or mm, like yeah, cheapening it or yeah. like it's just or very derogatory. open. I think it speaks to females in a way that's not uh, too crossing the line, if that makes sense. Yeah, like it, it feels yeah. really like genuine and speaking to it. Is that what you've been Absolutely part yeah. of the brand personality. We don't always get it right. It's such a fine line. But for the most part, I think that's what people are connecting with and it's we try to make it as real and as relatable as possible and you're in a conversation. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a very important part. Yeah, nice. It's intentionally, yeah. Cool. And is that an Aussie thing, do you think, the wit? Hmm. You know, is that something that – because I'll be honest, I, I think that's where there's a real consistency. I mentioned this when you came in between – um, Australia and and um, the UK certainly there's a kind of willingness to be self-deprecating. There's quite kind of a real cultural connection on on humour, right? And um, being central to kind of brand personality. And I think certainly when we um, as a business went to the US market, we realised we kind of had to readjust the concept of humour and brand. <laughs> um, but obviously, having a US team helps you do that. Yeah, but I think yeah. you know from from my point of view, it's been. A, uh, reassuring, weirdly, being in Melbourne, um, how connected the two cultures are on that front. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I think in Australia it does seem to be a bit of a, a way in, I guess, with with difficult-to-reach audiences or perhaps around taboo subjects. Yeah, I agree with you, and I think there is a, a real connection between 
the Aussie humour and the UK humour or the British humour. I, I think most, oh, I could be showing my generation again here, but <laughs> most of us have been brought up on watching at least one or two, you know, UK sitcoms of some sort. And I'm not going to name any because I'll show how really old I am. Actually, that's a really good point on generation. Have you found that the product is reaching lots of different age groups? Um, I know you said that the other team, your other founders, reach different generations. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yes, surprisingly. And um, we probably span into the mid-30s, from again, from the data that we have access to. But as young as sort of... 15, 16, which was honestly the intention. You know, if you can change that that mindset at that age while it's being formed and they're curious and, and exploring and looking for good information, I think, you know, you can really do your job well there. So I think, yes, we go as young as sort of 15, 16 that we know of and, and we are as old as into the 30s because it still resonates. The message is still the same. Yeah. Um, and I don't think that we are mm, – Ageist, in a way, if that makes sense. I think it does resonate even if you're older. I mean, I find myself laughing at some of the stuff that, you know, is written for 18-year-olds. Well, that's it. I think, um, you know, whereas comedy goes with trends, I guess, yeah. is timeless to some extent. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that leads me to my next question. So what's next for Johnny? Mm. You know, is there, is there, are there any, what are your plans for expansion? Because setting up a business is really tough. Yeah. Um, scaling a business is even harder. So, yeah, what, what's next for you guys? Such a big question, Alex. Yes. I mean, we almost from the first year that we operated, we've had a lot of interest from international markets and we've made some mistakes. You know, we've gone in too too quickly and not, not being set up financially to do that. And to scale, you have to have cash. You have to be ready to in, uh, invest again. It's like, set, you know, setting up a new business in another market is an expensive operation regardless. Throw it in that you're a medical device that needs a whole lot of regulation that changes really rapidly is a very expensive task as well. So, yes, we want to we want to expand. We have been talking to distributors in the US who are really keen to get it going, and that's a whole other proposition because you know they could do in a week what we do in a year in terms mm. of volume. Um, but again, you need the marketing dollars to to ramp that up. The UK is our very and Europe is very much our next focus. Okay. But that comes after getting the Aussie market right. And I think, you know, we're, we're proving that that concept is working and we're, we're getting really close. We've got um, some really good distribution partners here now that we didn't think we, you know, were going to get into as quickly as we have. We're seeing really good sell through. So the future's bright. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think when it comes to international expansion, it's interesting how, how you, you, the US is often this big you know, opportunity that everyone sees, but I think it's also potentially too big too to big. take on as yeah. a first export market. Yeah, yeah, and it's expensive. It's super expensive, and then and we do get a lot of people reaching out from the US because they they feel Johnny, they they get it. But I'm not I'm not sure they're actually more conservative when it comes to sex and talking about sex than than Aussies are. So we're like, oh, I'm not UK is just feels very mm. natural to us. Yeah, the US is definitely yeah. much more conservative. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, taking our knowledge from the, the sex toy market there with you Hot go. Octopus. But it also lends itself to opportunities, I think, especially in earned media because mm-hmm. they don't get stories mm-hmm. um, that are, are bold and, and kind of, so true. and I guess more, um, yeah, stigma challenging. Yeah. 
you know, everyone's much more conservative. I think, oddly, the media aren't necessarily as conservative, but the brands are much more conservative. Yeah. With what they're willing to say. Yeah, and, we're, and we don't want to be conservative. You know, it, it's there to be mixed up. We, want, we need to feel confident that we can go in and, and really um, play and play hard, you know. Definitely. And do it right, yeah. Pardon oh, the puns. See, it's, <laughs> it's not intentional. <laughs> it just happened. I think um, something that I picked up just before, you said you dabbled and then you found mm-hmm. that it didn't work. Where do you think um, those mistakes came into? Uh, well, to be honest, probably around the marketing. Yeah. So Urban Outfitters jumped on really quickly with us, I Incredible. think, within the first 12 months. And yeah. that, was, that was like, you know, the wish list tick. Yeah. But we didn't have the money to back up the brand awareness growth that they needed to get at sell through. Yeah. So I I would say that, you know, the capital raising and having your marketing plans in place is really key to that scalability. And were you managing all your own uh, marketing and everything from Australia? You didn't have any partners over in the US to help push? Yeah, and we're still growing here. So that, you know, when you're talking about the setup cost, just the the cash flow needs that you um, have to have we're restricted here as well. Yeah. Know? So to try and, and we're still building, it was in the first year. So we're still trying to get Australia off the ground. And then you go and try and throw money in the US, which is a lot more to reach a lot more people. And yeah, we just, yeah, we crashed. And I imagine that's <laughs> two different conversations happening at once. Like we said, it is a more conservative market. So while you're nailing down your marketing in Australia, yeah. you're also building a different, a whole other conversation in the States that. Yeah, well, we're market. trying to build it with the same conversation. Yeah. Absolutely. We weren't trying to do two things, but, you know, $10,000 here can go a little bit further than it will in the States, for yeah. example, you know, yeah. when it comes to digital marketing. But then the rewards can be so much greater as well. So it's this, you just have to be ready. You have to be ready. Yeah. And do you think there's um, there's that kind of challenge for brands coming into Australia that they, they sometimes think they're arriving, especially American brands, they can arrive and do oh the same God. old thing and, and screw it up? Completely. Mm. My past career has been working with some really big um, luxury brands and the amount of times we had to overlay a map of Australia onto Europe or onto the States to show them, but then show them where the population was, that alone, just to say to them, it's not as big. The country-wise, mass, yes, but the population, no. And so if you're coming in here expecting to get the same return that you get out of getting into Europe, it's straight away it's not going to happen you know yeah it takes a long time and we are a small market um, yeah we are kind of capped you know yeah i mean you're literally on the other side of the world as well right Compl- so the cost of doing business yeah yeah definitely like kim have you had any experience of brands coming from yes, elsewhere in the I world i have and- launched a couple <laughs> of u.s brands over here uh and um even french-based brands as yeah. well and it is that you know coming in hot, thinking that, you know, the same conversations are happening in this market. And I think that's what, um, in when building a brand in any market, it's really doing that research of what are the conversations Mm -hmm. happening in that market around these types of products. Because even though it's well-known, it doesn't mean that it's going to be adapted in the same way Mm -hmm. here. Yeah, even, for instance, like from skincare, which is my background, just marketing like, you know, our ozone layer, crazy, yeah. like everyone else. So unfortunately, Australian women actually um, age a lot faster than the rest of the world because <laughs> we're exposed to the sun. So even just knowing like that on a whole, I think lots of businesses come in just, you know, not sure. And the nuances, we, yeah. we going over there, 
probably don't think that we're Aussies. They'll love us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's it. There's there's so many small nuances as well. I mean, looking at the condom market as well, like Durex means something completely different in the UK to what it means in Oz, for instance. You know, and I think you've got um, there's there's different language aspects that can easily you can easily trip up on if you don't spend the time looking at um, you know the market and the context. Then there's also, I guess, the, the that's the cultural side, but there's also the audiences as well. You mentioned how open-minded Aussies are compared to um, Americans. Um, and I think something that's potentially changed those mindsets a lot has been the pandemic. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, obviously, for a condom brand, how did the, the pandemic where people literally weren't allowed to meet up affect you? <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> it was, we, we didn't skip a beat. Really? Yeah. True. Yeah. See, absolutely. I was thought, thinking you're going to tell us something different yeah. then because yeah, yeah, no, we didn't skip a beat, and I wonder whether that is because we're still new and we're still growing. Had the pandemic not happened, perhaps we would have grown a little bit faster. Who knows? What ifs? Yeah. Whatever. But the good news is, is that we we still grew year on year. We were. Uh, it enabled us to really bed down some distribution strategies for you know and get a bit tighter with our marketing and our marketing activities. So all the things that you know most businesses worked on, you, you sort of became a bit more internal. But the output, the sales, were still really healthy. So we're super, we're super lucky with well, that. I think uh, Alex, um, not sure if you're across, but Melbourne had um, especially had one of the longest lockdowns in the world and. Being as someone who was single at the time, yes. uh, you had to find bubble buddies quite quickly. Exactly, so, I was about to say. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I reckon that had a big part. Actually, I should look at um, the- I, I'm, It's great to hear that, you know, obviously people were locking down and... And having sex. Yeah. And locking <laughs> down. Sex and, yeah, lots of sex. I mean, even if you look at the sex toy industry in Melbourne, it, uh, in Australia, it, it grew phenomenally. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine from, I mean, that, that market is less reliant, reliant on singles, I guess, as well, right? And it's, you know, couples stuck at home together with little else to do, maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But there's, uh, I think there's a lot of research out now with the younger generations also not wanting to have kids yeah. quickly. And they understand the importance of sexual health it's you know and wellness so that's where condoms i think are actually people are going actually no this is a really good idea it's even if you've been with your partner for a long time even with sex toys you know you should be using condoms so there's a there's a whole different mindset on why you should use condoms i think which is really exciting so i mean we're kind of out of the frying pan into the fire when it comes to pandemic into an economic downturn so how are you guys feeling about that more condoms because it's too expensive to have kids (laughs) that's that's that should be an ad (laughs) actually i was at a dinner party on saturday night and one of the girls came up with um uh, genital distancing, that was it. Are you over genital <laughs> distancing you know, by Johnny? Which I thought was a really cool way yeah, of, yeah, of actually reframing the pandemic and yeah, economic downturn. Sorry, you're going to talk about that? No, I'm Wait, not oh, talking good. about economic oh, downturn. Good. I was just saying, you know, we're kind of looking down the barrel of it. I think in every territory we're in, for instance, there's a different kind of outlook, but the vast majority of them, you know, interest rates are going up, inflation's going through the roof, you know, people are becoming more frugal. Although oddly consumer confidence hasn't seem seemingly dropped as much as would normally be expected mm. from what is all but a recession, all by name. That's so right. yeah. Um yeah, I guess Fingers like crossed. sex is one of those markets that doesn't behave like others. Sex you know? and food, huh? You yeah. Know, when, when things turn tough. That's what that's what everything boils down to at the, <laughs> at the end, end of the, of the day. day and wine. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
Um, and speaking of like a recession, obviously Johnny has some added extras into it. So cost wise, compared to you know your your Durex that you pick up at the Seven Eleven, you're paying for a more sustainable product, one that's you know better for the environment, better for ingredients wise. I feel like it's you know it's vegan, obviously. How are you feeling in a competitive price market? Yeah, we are on shelf and especially um, at the points of sale that we're in now. So we're in the major supermarkets and and, chem- and pharmacies, the chemist warehouses. So when you see us on shelf, you know, we stand out as being uber expensive, which is really good marketing lessons right there, you know, <laughs> because we weren't designing the packaging for the supermarket shelf. Yeah. And it, it was we didn't want to be anywhere near the supermarket shelf. And then when you're looking at creating this retail brand, you, there are some things that you have to make really clear on the front of the pack to make that selection really easy for the consumer. So we've had to relinquish some of our, you know, brand uh, guidelines in, in a way you- but, so that we can communicate the why we're so expensive really quickly at, at, at a at a glance. And how do you feel like, the, is the, what, what do you feel is the ultimate Johnny experience in terms of, is it buying a pack on shelf and then becoming a, mm-hmm. a community member through, you know, the, the, you know, amazing online community work that you do? Mm-hmm. Is there, and, you know, and the newsletter for instance as well, which has got a great name. What's the newsletter called again? The J-Spot. The J-Spot. <laughs> of course it is. They're reframing all of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's and easy to find. I liked how your frequently answered questions were frequently yeah, unanswered, unanswered questions. questions. Yeah. AM. yeah, yeah, exactly. So, how, yeah, what's your what's your viewpoint? Is it? Do you think you need to kind of lean into, do you think you have to choose to be a direct-to-consumer brand or can you be everything at once? Like what's the... Such a great question, isn't it? I mean, it's a big question, whether it's, it's a, a good one question. or not, I don't know. I think this goes to the scalability as well, you know, but then I can come up with examples that squash that. But um, for a single product brand, I think you have to need, you have to be able to straddle both. You know, if you're an adore beauty of the world and you're a retailer of other brands and you can, and your shopping experience is so far greater than, then yes, you're going to have, especially when you're focusing on Australia as a market, you're going to have great success economically. But we're one product you know, in three different SKUs or four different SKUs at the market and not everyone has saved sex. So it's it's capped, you know, to a certain level. So we have to be able to reach as many people as we can and we always looked at the supermarket shelves as a branding opportunity, to be honest, and then to hopefully bring a proportion of those customers back in to the online experience and be that, you know, they sign up to the, the Get Lucky Club, which is our subscription offer, and become regular users that way. But at the end of the day, you want as many people as possible to be able to see and then get their hands on Johnny quickly and when yeah. they need it, you know, yeah, the definitely. most easiest place for them to buy it. I think the marketing world's often, you know, quite kind of insular and myopic around needing to pick a side. It's a bit like yeah. the back to work brigade, right? Yeah. <laughs> are you are you work from home or are you in the office? And it's kind of, well... Both, Bit of both. <laughs> you know, yeah. like what's going to work best yeah. for the work or for me. That's you know? right. Yeah. That's what hybrid working is. It's not like having a massive argument about whether it's better to work in your pajamas, which again is, is a deliberate kind of um, slur on the working from home experience or, you know, being shackled to a desk, right. which is the same for the office. I think realistically, um, you know, the future works very different, but, you know, brands are often kind of, why would you sell in retail? You need a direct consumer relationship. But you can, can use retail as a recruitment That's right. um, you know, yeah, process. Absolutely. You know, as long as you have a brand experience that is strong enough, 
you know, and I think that's where perhaps in certainly in the world of condoms, there hasn't been a brand that's been speaking to the customer. It's been very transactional. That's Do you right. want to have sex? Buy some condoms. Yeah. Whereas, you know, Johnny for me feels very much like what kind of person are you? Yeah. And when you're having sex, then this would be the brand that's magnetic for you, I guess. Yeah. Brilliant. And, and, and that's exactly where we want to be. Mm. The conversations that I think some of the older brands have had with their customers is horrible and is responsible for creating the sti- – for com- oh, this is a big thing, so you might need to edit this bit. <laughs> no editing, sorry. I think, <laughs> I think is responsible for – not wholly and solely, but partly responsible for the mindset that has been created over generations to come because of the way they've gone to market. And you can see them trying to fix it, but it's not – innate in their DNA, their corporations, their big money machines, that the bottom line counts, right? So it's not in how they feel. So yes, the brand experience is super important for us because it goes to the point of reducing the stigma and awkwardness. And I think it is really interesting. Um, I, I think the sex industry generally is really interesting. I'd love to see a documentary on the evolution of the sex industry. Right. But I think certainly with, with condoms, it's fascinating how they are marketed differently in different territories. I mean, in, um, you know, in Sweden, it's very different even. Um, and actually, that's a market where I'd think Johnny that's would resonate super, really yeah, well. Yeah. But also um, in the US, I think a lot of the time condoms have been marketed around STIs mm-hmm. in order to avoid the religious debate around contraception. And that might just be me making that up. That's but a it really certainly interesting... seems, seems to be the case. And it feels to me, again, like people are, it's like when you sell the functional benefits of your products and therefore there's no difference between the products. If you're saying, you know, don't get an STI, wear a condom, it doesn't matter what condom I wear. Exactly. You know, whereas I think, um, you know, with Johnny and probably other forward thinking sex brands as well, it's much more about a lifestyle and well-being play That's right. That's than it exactly is about right. a functional you know, taboo, yep. you know, the, that that thing you buy in the toilets because you don't want to buy it in, anywhere else. Anywhere, else, <laughs> anywhere exactly. that could be seen. Yeah. yeah. Do yeah. you see well-being, just as Alex yeah. mentioned that, as obviously being a big market and a bit more of a gateway for, your, for getting accessibility into those markets um, and being opening those doors rather than such a functional product. Oh, completely. Yeah. yeah. And we often talk about internally a little bit more than externally, but the well-being, even the mental well-being, you know, so we talk about sexual health. It's it's fascinating, no research. This is just, you know, antidotal <laughs> from what we know, but the mental strain, uh, especially for women in unprotected sex, the, the weight of those uh, interactions, what that can mean, you know, they're the person that's actually waiting around to see if they're pregnant for the month mm. or they have to go to the doctor and, and, and get the after-morning pill or whatever it is or go to the chemist or whatever, whatever the cycle is. That's a lot of – and then comes the I shouldn't have done that, the regret, the why didn't I insist on it. So there's a mental thing as well. So, again, if you can go back to reducing the stigma and awkwardness and it's play and it's respectful and it's fun – then it's back to the looking after yourself, looking after the person you're having sex with. You know, it's, it's just a mutual, Definitely. it's a mutual thing. It's a mutual benefit I for all. One of the global human truths is that the weight of contraception falls on, on the woman yeah. generally yeah. Um, in, in um, a heterosexual relationship anyway. And I think, um, you know, that's something, again, that has to change. I think the equality message in Johnny is really interesting too. And it's much more about, again, I think the first line on the website, sex is awesome. Yeah. Um, and yep. again, it's about saying, okay, well, have the optimum sex life. Yeah. And here's a brand that gives you access to that. I to think. that. Um, and again, like the human, the brand becomes super significant then. If you're talking about 
making it less awkward to bring out a condom brand. You know, it's not a medical device. Right. You know? <laughs> we get banned on Facebook because it's a sex toy when you're advertising and Instagram because I consider it a sex toy. It's like this is not a, this is a, this is a wellness this is a wellness messaging and you should be behind it. It's the same thing. It's not just a functional thing. Yeah, I find it really awkward that social media is this great emancipator of the internet and is now the kind of conservative <laughs> right? like barrier for everyone. I mean, we ran a campaign last year that was quite um, well received and um, certainly in Europe and the US. Um, and we ran the campaign here in Oz and we actually just had an activation for it, which is um, it's for Tommy Tippy, the, the parenting brand. And the campaign was called The Boob Life. And it was about, you know, breastfeeding and or freedom to feed however you want. And we produced a brand film that showed real mums feeding their children. Awesome. Now, that was banned by every single social platform as sexualized content, because apparently whenever you show anyone's flesh, that's sexualized that's right. content. That's right. Regardless of the fact it's something that is older than, you know, as old as humanity itself. Exactly. It's just utterly bizarre. Um, but also we were able to use that, I guess, to break down that stigma. I think certainly LinkedIn and Facebook looked at addressing their algorithms and how they automatically Great. Um, look at that. But also what was interesting when we did the testing on the results was that parents found it, it ranked the highest ever that any test had been run um, on um, on system one testing with um, with mums and with, with parents, you know, but actually with the wider community, the stigma was evident. Right? It was just, oh, this is disgusting. We shouldn't be seeing this. And so, well, that's that's the reason that's, yeah. you know, why the campaign needs to exist. And we've just produced in um, in Melbourne this week, uh, there's a mural that's the first mural that's got a kind of um, a, a mum clearly be, uh, breastfeeding. Oh, fantastic. Um, but it had to be a mural because we couldn't produce it out in, of home in, Yeah, right. So, you know, th- that's the kind of... Um, I don't know, the kind of stigma, though, that weirdly social media is making it more difficult for brands to evolve and innovate in these sectors and these categories, which are, again, focusing on humanity rather than stereotype. That's exactly right. These platforms that could be so powerful for spreading the right messaging, Mm. helping spread the right messaging. Would you say that's been a limitation that's contributed to, you know, accessing other markets perhaps in the way that, you know, Facebook and Instagram are monitoring content Hmm. and shutting down content. I think it's more of a frustration than a limitation because because we don't give up. Like in our early days before we had someone doing it for us, I was on the phone and arguing with Facebook saying this is, you know, and the person on the other end of the phone saying, I know, I get it, but this is the policy. You know, (laughs) I I can't do much more than the policy. So it's it's because... it's the perfect platform to start helping with their messaging. So it's a frustration in that you have to continually have the same conversations that are shrouded, you know, in, in policies that don't belong or aren't relevant to today. Yeah. Um, it's like, come on, catch up. You know, your audience is wanting wanting these conversations. Okay, cool. So just to finish off the conversation, given we, st- we started off chatting around um, things like international expansion and scaling up businesses and things, I think if you had any recommendations, I think, Kim, for you, for brands coming into Australia, like what's the number one recommendation? The number one recommendation for coming into Australia as a new brand in 2022, 2023, um, I would say just get to know the market beforehand. I think it, and I, I mean, that's such a broad thing to say, but I think people do come in hot and they think just because they're loved in one market, they're going to be loved in this market. And I think there's also a lot of 
preconceptions of what the Australian market is. And it's actually a very diverse and complicated market. I think everyone just thinks we're like, g'day, mate. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, but we are a hugely multicultural society with a lot of different conversations going on. And I think making sure you are delving into, and even if it's not yourself, like even just having conversations with people that are on the ground there before jumping in straight into the pond. And I think people think that they do that enough, but I think it is just taking it slowly and looking at what conversations are happening specifically around what other products are in the market already there. Yeah, I mean, I do think that um, a lot of UK brands especially think it's the same language. Yeah. Right, so it's it's English language market. (laughs) Yeah. You know, all I need to do is work out production or transport or distribution and I'm sorted. Um, But... You know, having spent um, the last 10 days here, it's as much, you know, um, a different cultural experience as, as, you know, you would expect going across the other side of the planet, to be perfectly honest. Yeah, um, we're so close to, you know, Asia and we have a huge expat community here and, you know, there's lots happening in Australia and I think it's just kind of, I think people think it's one thing and then they come to the market and... And the other thing is Australia does have its eyes on the rest of the world a lot because we have that almost like little sibling thing where we are looking at the rest of the world. So a lot of the time we know a lot more about your brand already. Mm-hmm. Like we already know what when it comes in. So we have all our own ideas of how it's going to be. We've, we're already in front of it almost before you are on the market. We might have already moved on from it. So it's like getting into the market where we're at. Cool. And then um, for you, Beck, what's the um, what's the advice you would give to someone who is growing their business um, from Australia, I guess, but maybe maybe not even rooting yourself in in Oz? Like, what's the um, what's the kind of if you had one key kind of observation or learning or one key ambition, what would it be? I think my key learning um, has is summed up in the two words: patience and persistence. That's what I've learned mm. the most of. I can be super impatient and just want to see things happen and move and, and go, but it just it just doesn't work like that. And you have to be super patient, but you can't take your foot off the pedal. So, um, you know, where I think if I go back to our original business plan that we wrote, you know, five years ago, we which is always a frightening thing to do fright- as a business owner. <laughs> and it was we were reviewing it, going, "Oh my god, we our egos were huge." Um, <laughs> but I love. I love the growth that we've taken and the mistakes that we've made and and learning this um, balance between patience and persistence is you just got to keep moving and when you think there's a roadblock, just keep going, just keep going. People will catch up, you know, or um, what you thought over there might take two weeks actually takes two years, doesn't matter, just keep keep going, it'll work as long as you believe in what you're doing and your conviction. But that that is mine, patience and persistence. You never have enough money always get more yeah. money but uh, i mean that's it yeah. i think people often talk about performance marketing when they're setting up a new brand for yeah. instance i think firstly it's difficult to build a brand with performance marketing because you might be measuring every transaction but you're not measuring everyone you're pissing off um <laughs> but i think there's probably a better way to put it which is persistence marketing yeah, right? right which is just a case of you know being willing to try and fail different things and like you were saying before i think the biggest thing i took from this uh, conversation or um, that's, I think, a really healthy sign for, for Johnny is the idea that you're willing to be both a direct consumer brand and a retail brand and understand there's a relationship between, between the both. two. Yeah. You know, that people going into a retailer to buy Johnny condoms 
is a very different prospect to having to look on shelf in the first place, which is driven from a direct consumer marketing strategy. But then similarly, I could buy, you know, the product becomes an advert for me to join that community. That's right. Um, from retail and like you said you can't buy you can't create that shelf space yourself that's right um so yeah that's really fascinating okay cool well thank you very much for a very interesting conversation around sex and condoms (laughs) is exactly what should take place on a monday afternoon (laughs) as far as i'm concerned um so thank you very much guys um and as for all the listeners we'll um see you all again soon probably not from australia i'm not sure where our next um fresh meat podcast is coming from but this was a medium minds over one of the freshest topics and one of the oldest topics in the industry um thanks very much see you soon that's all we have time for today thanks for listening remember to subscribe to spotify or apple music so you never miss an episode